Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, where we invite you to invest in your well-being and unlock the secrets of vibrant health, peak performance, and wellness. Join us, Sebastian Mirau and Johannes Kettelhout, co-founders of Australia and New Zealand's leading wellness company, as we dive deep into the science, strategies, and stories that empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. Whether you are a CEO, high achiever, entrepreneur, elite athlete, health enthusiast, scientist, or self-improvement seeker, together we will explore the cutting edge of biohacking techniques and holistic health practices with world-class experts that optimize your mind, body, and spirit. With each episode, you will walk away with practical and actionable steps to integrate in your daily life. Are you ready? Let's elevate your well-being. I'm really, really excited, really excited about the answers of our guest today, and that's Ben Nash. Ben Nash is a wizard when it comes to finances of any type and knows a lot. You've been in the industry for a long time, but I know I couldn't give it justice to actually make an introduction. So, Ben, welcome to the show. Oh, good to be here. Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Yeah. So, I'm Ben, a financial advisor and the founder of Pivot Wealth. We're a money management business based out of Sydney in Australia, but we've got clients around Australia and, and also internationally. We help people make smarter choices with their money, basically so that they can live a better life. And what we've found is that everyone's situation is unique, but when it comes to money, people tend to face three main challenges in particular. The first one is information overload. It's like there's so many options, so much information, don't know how to choose. The second is that people struggle to really find the balance between getting ahead with money at the rate that they want while they live the lifestyle that they want. Mm. And the third is the... Fear of missing out and also the fear of making a mistake. There's so much psychology that sits around what we do and that's mm. like no doubt what we're going to talk a little bit more about today. Mm. But people are so afraid of making the wrong decision or doing something dumb that costs them a bunch of money. And what happens as a result of those things is that people end up stuck and they're often stuck, stuck not doing nothing, but stuck doing the same thing that they've been doing in the oh. past. And they're often missing the opportunity to get better results and get more out of what they have. So yeah, what we do is help people, you know, get essentially get unstuck and set up a clear path from where they are to where they want to be. But a big part, apart from just the money and that planning and pathway, it's about giving people true and deep confidence. And I think that's what we'll talk a bit about today, that mm. financial well-being. You know, how do you not stress about money? How, how do you build that peace of mind? Yeah, and that, that's some people might might wonder why, why talking about finance on, on a sauna podcast. But, you know, like overall, this podcast is about, you know, well-being and tackling, you know, the lifestyle diseases that, that come with the modern lifestyle. And one of them, and it's, it's a substantial one, I'm sure you know so much more than I about the statistics, people really struggle finding, I guess, the balance also of, of not getting stressed about it or just being over-occupied by managing mm. the money, being really aware of that money. So I can see the linkage easily. And I know a lot of people that I wouldn't say lost their soul, but certainly like, you know, really <laughs> lost sort of like, what's why do I want to live? Why I want to do whatever I want to do because the money really took over. But that's, that's just a danger. It's not 
a de- default, of course, when dealing with money. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think like money doesn't solve problems, but it does give you options. And hmm. a lot of the people that we work with, it's not money so that they can have a big pile of money to roll around in, but it's money so that they can live a better life, so that they can look after the people that they care about, so that they can, you know, give back or follow a, a career that serves a social purpose or something, you know, start a business that then gives back and these are all things that improve financial well-being and I think that you know what what you guys are about and apart from being a huge uh, sauna nut myself I think that the well-being you know work and support that you guys do is really critical but well-being is about a number of things it's about your physical well-being and and making sure that you're healthy and fit and you know getting that blood flowing and sweating and doing all those things and then you've got your mental and emotional well-being and that's obviously super important as well and you know a challenge to 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 be nailing especially in the current (laughs) climate and then you've got your financial well-being and as I see it, like if any one of those areas is missing, it ends up dragging down the others. Like if you, if you're super rich, but you're unhealthy or you're, you're depressed or anxious, like that's not going to be a good outcome. Mm. Similarly, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're happy and you've got money, but you're, you're unfit or you're sick, like mm. that's a problem as well. And if you're, if you're happy and healthy, but you've got no money, then it's hard to stay that way for, yes. for all or at least enough money to be comfortable and look after yourself and family, etc. Yeah. Mm. So when thinking about a typical scenario that you see where it doesn't go well or where, where you say like, look, there's so much potential in people's life. Like when you look at, People, I don't know, when do they start to accumulate money? When they, if they're lucky, their parents start to put something away. When they're 10, that's the German way, you know, or when you have your, like, you know, a bit religious in German. So when you have your confirmation, it's called, you get the first pile of, like, money gifts. And then, you know, the, the uncle takes you aside and says, hey, it's really, really good idea to put, like, $100 a month away of your paperboy money that you get. Because then, <laughs> when you're 30, you can buy a house. And, you know, like, it makes all good sense, but who does it? Like, I, I know the type of personality that does it, but, like, can you see a, hey, this is such a typical path. It starts here. It's more or less the same for everyone. And then the choices that people make are not as educated or as great as they could have. Look, I think you're showing your cultural background there. We're talking about the the sensible, organized German in you. But I know, like, again, generalizing, but in Australia, like, we've sort of grown up from a very lower middle income sort of society, really. And uh, I think there's a lot of people, and especially when you look at the people that are doing well in the industries that are doing well now, there's more this, like, new, rich, you know, tech workers, people, the Uh old... You know, computer nerds from back in the day yeah. that are now taking over the world and through their interest in, in what was a, you know, uh, something that was interesting to them, but has now grown into this beast industry that there's so many people that are got money and new to money and probably didn't have that uncle, you know, telling them <laughs> to be sensible or maybe they did and didn't listen. Mm. I, I know that that's a, a generalization. There's a lot of people that have been sensible and had good support from their family as well. But I think that really the, because we are getting more rich as a society, like more wealthy, uh, when you look at the the statistics, that people are probably not used to that level of wealth. And, and also the world just seems to be changing so quickly that I think that what worked for our parents' generation, like I know, and talking about my family, it was like, buy a house mm. on a block of land, pay off your mortgage, and that's a great result. And if you've got money left over, you know, you sock it away in cash or something like that, or maybe buy some Commonwealth bank shares. But mm. when I talk to like a lot of the people that we work with are in their 
20s, 30s and 40s and they want to live a life of freedom where they mm-hmm. can travel, they can pursue careers that they want, they want to live in good suburbs and good areas mm-hmm. and that doesn't come cheap in a lot of cases. I know you don't need money to be happy and there's a lot of people that do manage to live really well and really happy full lives without that much money and I think, you know, well done to them and, mm. and all power to them but it's probably somewhat indicative of the people that I talk to about money but I would say that people they have the goals that they've got are not really like crazy extravagant or anything but they are things that require quite a lot of of money to get there you think about replacing the average salary in Australia now you know our average income is a bit over $90,000 if you use a, a rough rule of thumb when it comes to what sort of income you can generate from a portfolio of investments is that you should be able to draw about 5% from a pool of assets without eating into capital. And what that means in human words is that if you've got a million dollars in a share portfolio, mm. that will give you about $50,000 every year for the rest of your life. So if you want to replace the average income, that suggests that that math suggests that you need about $1.8 million in order to do that. Then you look at, you know, what's the average property price in Australia is over a million bucks. Mm. If you, and that, you know, that's a very broad church of where it is. I, I live in Sydney and the property prices around there, you're not getting much anywhere within an hour of the CBD for a million dollars. So, you know, that, that you're adding more onto that number. And then you look at if people got families, then oftentimes they'll want to, you know, provide some support for them or be able to help mm. set up their kids. Then you throw in, you know, the odd overseas trip and a new toy or doing something to the house. It's like, we're talking about pretty big numbers just to live a, a pretty reasonable lifestyle. So, I think that needs a it needs a fair bit of work and and careful planning to to get there and these days there's so much stuff going on with our money you know tax rules investment rules mm. types of investments property property strategies all the things that sit around that that there's so much complexity that that people need to be across if they want to really maximize their situation and and take full advantage and get ahead at the fastest rate possible so I would say as soon as you're in a position where you can afford to pay for some good support, it should then start paying for itself and then you keep, you just keep, you know, making your next steps, you know, bigger ones and better ones to lead to that. So I don't think it's really a specific age bracket or point in your career, but obviously you've got to be earning some money and ideally, yeah, have a little bit to to work with or or to say it a different way, the more that you have, then the more value there is in making smarter decisions. Mm. But even in the earlier stages when you've got less money, then still getting into good money habits, it's like your well-being that you get into good well-being habits when you're when you're younger or when you're less healthy and then that benefits you for your whole life. I think yeah. money is very much like well-being. It's a muscle that you need to build and flex and then yeah. you start by doing the basics. Let's make it easy to save and manage your money or do a little bit of investing and then Hmm. And then you grow, you build that muscle, and then you start, you're doing more investing, you're getting into different sort of strategies, you start hmm. looking at property, you're looking at tax planning, getting a bit more strategic as hmm. well. So, yeah, I, th- I think, I know that's a bit of a long answer, but yeah, the the habits are, are really important, but then the tactical considerations, I think, are really relevant for people all through that journey. Gotcha. So, what would you say, what's like the worst scenario that you see a lot before people people become really habitual about saving or habitual about you know thinking about their money like like surely the the average 
is a very different story what people do with their money. Like, mm. there's probably not much consideration simply because life is busy and the education is confusing and, you know, all the rest of it. Yeah, look, I think that there's a few sort of common situations that we see people in that we would view as suboptimal with varying <laughs> degrees of impact. I think, though, one of probably the the ones that I personally probably get the most, like, I, I, maybe frustration is not quite the right word, but it's almost like I feel I, I want to shake someone and where I see people that are earning, like, really, really good incomes mm. and they're just not not really saving anywhere near what they need to to, to right. you know, create financial progress at the rate that they want because, like, for, for these People that are earning good money, like they're working hard for that money. Mm. It's, that doesn't just happen by mm. chance. And we talk to people that they might be making, you know, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, or even more, oh. and they have less to show for it at the end of the year than some of our other clients that might be a couple earning a combined income of one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. And when I look at that, and I go, you know, you you're working really hard to mm. to make this money, but you're basically trapping yourself in this lifestyle, which no doubt is is sort of fun. In in you get to do stuff that people would look at from the outside yeah. and go, "Wow, that's that's like, you know, really cool." But what's the end game there? And the more you do, the longer things are going to take. And it's just like you just you could do you could still do so much and still get ahead at so quickly by just changing a few little things. And I'm just like, you know, just recognize what you're doing. Mm. Can you just describe this in more detail so that people actually recognize themselves in that pattern? They might already by you just stating sort of the income and what they do, but like what's that lifestyle that you can see or the people and the lifestyle that comes with it so that you actually point out, hey, this is not, not so clever. I think it would just help the listeners to say like, actually, this is me. Sort of yeah. yeah. Well, look, I think I call that lifestyle creep and it's where you you start adding in a bunch of expenses to your to your spending mm -hmm. without really thinking too much about it. And then before you know it, they've become almost like necessities that are really difficult to step back from. So it's like you get the personal trainer and the dog walker and the, wow. you know, the start traveling business class instead mm -hmm. of premium economy or like all of these things. And then you, you can't step like you can't wind back from that. And and I think good money management and good financial planning, whether with a financial planner or for anyone doing their own financial planning, mm. is really just good prioritization. Everybody's got priorities, right? So you've got a whole list of priorities, looking after family, saving, investing, spending, the dog walker, the mm. business class flights, like they can all be on the list. To pick the ideal strategy for, for anybody listening in, it's like you've got to find the ideal mix of those priorities. Mm. So like making smart money moves is fit somewhere in that list for everybody. What happens in the moment people people just do stuff without thinking about it, you know, at that 50,000 foot level and they what they're doing is they're actually deprioritizing the making the smart money moves so that they and they're putting a higher priority on other stuff like mm. naturally, but when you step back and actually look at it, you realize that sometimes in the moment you're making decisions that aren't as consistent with what you really want. And I think that, like, one of the things that I try to get pinned down by journalists on quite a lot is saying, like, how much, what's the right rate that people should be saving? Should they save 5% of their income or 10% of their income or 20%? Like, what's the magic number that's yeah. going to lead people to financial success? But I don't believe in that. I don't think there is a magic number. I think everybody's number is different. Yeah. 
And what dictates whether the number is the right one for you, it's really depends. It looks, it's like how quickly are you making progress and are you happy with that? So if your, if your number is two, if you're saving 2% of your salary, but when you map that out and say, okay, well, from here, you know, I've got X in savings, I've got X investments, I've got X in property, I've got X in superannuation, and I'm saving at this rate. And if I keep doing that in six months, a year, five years, 10 years, I'm in a position or I'm likely to be in a position that I'm happy with, happy days. That's the right number for you. But if Mm. that number needs to be 20% or Mm. 50%, then you need to look at that as well. Now, depending on where you sit, it's sometimes easier to make those adjustments than others, but it's about making conscious choices. And that's what I suppose to your previous question that when you start earlier, Mm. and I'm probably like, and I'm actually thinking of actual clients in that situation where you've got you know, a couple on $150,000 a year that they started working with us when they were earning, you know, fifty and $60,000 respectively, and they weren't saving that much, but then they're, they're controlling their spending and being really conscious when they do choose to add on, you know, a car loan or a, an ongoing subscription that's a significant expense. Like, they're doing that mindfully, which means that as, you, as your career grows and as you're getting more and more pay rises, you're actually profiting from that money and, and saving a bit more and enjoying yourself more, of course, because you should, you absolutely should do that. But it's not like you're just ignoring your money, doing, you know, whatever mm. you want, and then you're seeing what's left over at the end of the year and wondering why you're not getting ahead at the rate that yeah. you want. You know that, I mean, the health benefits are substantial. I've, like, I certainly can pick out on people that are just really clear on their budget and really clear on their spending. And, and so when they're asked, let's say, you know, you go out for dinner and it's like, Hey, should we go for mm. a bar? And, you know, I think I feel really good when people let's say, let's be on our budget this, this week. It just is. We really want to buy a house. We know what we need to do for the next mm. two years. You know, we stay here or let's go to the bottle or, and, you know, and, and yeah. hang out in the park, whatever it might be. And, and I think people undervalue the simple things because making a budget is, is not rocket science. Like, yeah. yes, maybe you have to bring your uncle in who is really good in math to really <laughs> get, get this percentage right. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really like, this is how much comes in in every two weeks. Break it down for one week if you like. So you know what you have and just put away and just. Think about also big expense that roll around only, you know, car registration, whatever you have every yeah. half a year, every year. I mean, there's not much more to it to at least get a bit of a feel of where you're at, right? That's right. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people think that doing a budget is about counting every dollar that you earn or, mm. or necessarily pinching pennies, but it's not. It's just about that prioritization. So it's like to that example that you, that you mm. said, like, they prioritize their housing, but it's like you, you have a certain amount that you want to allocate to discretionary expenses each week. Like you, we call it your spending money. And mm. I'm a big believer in having a structured bank account system where you have like your bills paid, mm. your fixed, fixed expenses and bills paid, a clear amount of spending money each week, any debts paid for your tr- lifestyle or bigger ticket you know, discretionary type expenses and unexpected expenses and then your savings. And I know I run this system with myself, my wife. We started doing it about six or seven years ago or thereabouts and I get a few hundred dollars deposited into my pocket money account every week. I know that I can spend that all on beer if I want to. It's mm. just that that's my money for the week. And as long as I don't spend more than that, then then I'm sticking to my budget. It doesn't stop you from blowing your budget, but at least it gives you a, a clear barrier. And I think if you go out for dinner with mates, then maybe you don't, you know, do something else that was a bigger ticket thing that week. And I know like for my wife and I that we were 
we, the reason that we started doing that was because we just weren't saving at the rate that we wanted to. And mm. what I'd realized when we started looking at what we were spending money on and where it was going, we just like started doing, we're living in Sydney, doing Uber Eats like five or six nights a week, but not mm. really enjoying it that much. And then we just huh. cut that out. Mm. And now, now, well, now we've moved to the Northern Beaches. So there's only like six items on our, they don't even have Uber Eats out there, but they're, they're, <laughs> there's a bit of a lack of restaurants. But anyway, that's another story, I suppose. But. Even when we were living in Sydney, we'd do it one or two nights a week and we just enjoy it so much more because mm. again, you just, you just fall into these habits of doing things and it's like, I know that you're familiar with that drift versus decide type mm. setup that all of a sudden, you know, things just compound and yeah, you, you're not getting the results. So it's not about really restricting yourself, but just being clear on what it is. And then I think that there are some hacks that you can do to make your life easier, like using small barriers like multiple bank accounts, a lot of psychology mm. that sits around that. I really geek out on that stuff. And I, when I wrote my book, I dove right into it. And we used to use this bank account structure. I didn't really care why it worked. I mm. only cared that it did actually yeah. work. But when I started writing my book, I started getting into the research and found that there's a lot of studies that back that up, that even really tiny barriers like a different bank account or having to flick around, like flick your thumb seven times to transfer money to a different account, it makes a big difference. Yes. Like, So I think if you can leverage mm. those things, then you just give yourself more of an advantage to, to get in. Nice book. I actually got a cup of copy here. Thanks for that. It's good font too. I mean, I can read this really easily. Do you want to talk a little bit about about the book, just out of interest, because this is, this looks extremely practical. This is not the theory of of saving money. This is actually how you do it, huh? Yeah. Look, there's a bit of both, really. the The book is I, I wrote the book about three years ago. I put it out about three years ago, and it talks about the three different areas that we've found are really critical to be successful with your money. I spent a lot of time trying to distill down, like, what are the areas and things that people need to nail if they want to, yeah, get the results that they want and found that there's, there's three things that, or three areas that people need to nail to be successful. And that's your structure, which is a bit what we're talking about mm. there, making it easy to save and manage your money and making it clear how much money you've got to work with when it comes to saving or investing or debt reduction or buying property or whatever. Mm. The second one is your strategy. So getting clear on the pathways that can take you from where you are to where you want to be. So buying shares, buying property, buying crypto, investing through your superannuation or whatever combination of those are. That's a big key to building the confidence and eliminating financial stress as well, that particular area. And then the third one is your investments and the product solutions that you use to back up your strategy. So when you invest, making sure that you're getting reliable, consistent progress over time, but importantly, that you're avoiding the blowing up your cash, essentially avoiding those setbacks and momentum killing mistakes that can cause you to have to go back to the starting line. With that one in particular, that especially when you're younger and you've got a lot of time on your side, you don't need to shoot the lights out with every investment that you make to be financially successful. You just need to get started, be consistent and avoid failures. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong, that they they don't have the right foundations in place or they listen to all the hype and they're chasing the property hotspots or the next crypto ICO or the specky startup share investments. And then instead of just getting the you know boring old market returns that they're trying to chase the next Afterpay or Google or something, and then they have to go back to the start. But 
with those elements, what again, sort of similar to what we're saying with the well-being, that if one of the elements is missing, it ends up dragging down on the others. So if you've got good investments and a good strategy, but you don't have the right structure in place, it's like you're working with a leaky bucket and it's hard to really plan. If you're missing the strategy, then you're leaving money on the table and you're leaving peace of mind and confidence on the table. And if you don't have the right investments in place, then you blow up your cash and that's, that's a problem as well. So in the book, I... You might be able to tell I, I may not be German, but I am pretty structured in the way that I uh, think about things. Are. So, I, yes, um, I know, yes. <laughs> we've got those three sections, and in each of the sections, I unpack the bit like the start. I talk about the theory and the psychology that sits around the banking, and then it's like the practical steps. How do you put it into place? Same with planning. It's like, what is it? Why is it important? And how do you do it? Yeah, and then with the investments as well, I just cover the key areas uh, in there. May have predicted the COVID impact on the property market, just saying when I wrote it three years ago. Didn't know it was COVID at that time, but talking about the flock to the regions that you guys are, are seeing up here around the Northern Rivers at the mm. moment with people getting being able to work from anywhere and, and moving more into different areas. So I was quite nervous putting that in the book, but uh, that's in there now. So oh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> so if I... Read between the lines of what he was saying about people, you know, not being boring. Because boring can be really profitable. Boring is profitable, <laughs> yeah. But instead stretching themselves and then maybe making a mistake that sets them back. Are you talking about sort of the psychology of like, hey, I could invest just, I don't know, five, ten thousand dollars, whatever, in this thing, but I really have available thirty thousand. Therefore, I should put everything in it because this sounds like the best thing and you know that's that's the one i will go for and therefore taking any other options of investment or or diversification of of risk away is that sort of what that is oh look i think there's a couple of things there i was actually going to mention in one of the previous questions are you talking about the mistakes that people make and Mm. you mentioned the people like people earning but not getting ahead as much as they Mm. as they could or should but one of the other big ones that we see people taking uh, making is that because they don't understand money you know, deeply or like where the risk is coming from, which is mm. almost impossible mm. unless you're like a financial professional or you had like years and decades of experience in, in focus, focusing on it for yourself. But people don't take as much risk as they should. Like they don't push as hard as they should when it comes to buying property or buying shares or cranking their superannuation or whatever because they're worried about making a mistake. They're like, oh, feel like a little bit conservative they don't understand where the risks are coming from so they're not as aggressive as they should be similarly like covid situation we saw the markets tanked we were fortunate that we had a a number of clients that were cashed up and we we were sort of waiting because prior to covid the markets were running pretty hot and we told them to hold fire a little bit on their investments and we were like okay guys now this is this is the opportunity that we've been waiting for like Mm. let's invest into the market and be pretty aggressive because we can see the stats are telling us like, yes, it might keep going down, but it's, it's, it's likely to go off over time. And everyone's so fearful. And this is with professional advisors in their corner. They're still fearful. Thankfully they listened to us and did quite well as a result of that. Mm. But for, for people without that support or people without that knowledge that it's hard to do that as well. And when you think about wealth building and, and asset, asset building wealth creation for younger people in particular, the most effective way to do that the fastest is to literally go and borrow as much money as you possibly can and then go and invest that invest that money into good quality investments. Well at least to do it the smart way. You could buy you could buy poor quality investments, so that probably wouldn't be a very smart move. But mm. essentially like with property that property and and we we're the sort of advice I'm the sort of advisor and we're the sort of advice business where 
most of our clients have some shares, some property superannuation, like a bit of crypto even in there that we advise across all those areas. And I think that they all have their place. But if you're buying good properties because of the power of leverage, the fact that you don't go, no one really buys a million dollar property with a million dollars. They go, they get a hundred thousand or 200,000 and then go borrow money from the bank and then buy the million dollar property. And when you do that, you've got an asset that's four or five times the size that you would get if you were going to buy shares or, you know, invest into crypto or mm-hmm. your superannuation. So that gearing element is super, super powerful. So long as you choose the right investments. So when you, and this is like, we build these financial models for people. We put the situation into the financial planning software that we use and you say, okay, your income's this, your assets, that, what's left over is that. This is your baseline. You know, you've got these daycare costs and then the school costs kick Mm. in and then this and that and, you know, all of those things. And then you go, okay, well now if you buy shares, this is what it looks like. If you bought a property, this is what it looks like. If you bought two properties, this is what it looks like. The buying 10 properties is always going to look better than buying one property or buying no properties, but that's probably not going to be the right strategy for anybody either because you've got to be able to sleep at night and then you've got to say, well, how much risk do I actually need? And I suppose Mm. that was sort of to your question that when you look at buying good blue chip assets, whether it's property, shares, crypto increasingly blue chip so blue chip is just like the boring old you know most common solid so like blue chip shares are the biggest companies in the country so like the top 10 companies in australia would be the the blue chip the bluest chip of shares as well if you think about property so like using sydney which is where i'm from Mm. that you go blue chip property areas around the cbd are surrey hills bondi mossman won't drop and and value simply because the demand is so big exactly they've got solid fundamentals Mm. that you know that they've got good backing behind them and if you think about like with investing into the commonwealth bank versus investing into a, a small tech startup company then yeah the tech startup might shoot the lights out and give you a 100x return and CBA probably isn't going to do that but also that the that CBA has been around for like 200 years almost and you know startup companies have a 50% chance of failure so it's like well you might be lucky but you also might not and when you look at like I don't know if I'll be able to remember these numbers off the top of my head, but saving and investing, like for, for anyone that's listening along, jump on the Money Smart website. It's run by ASIC, run by the government. They have a compound interest calculator. You can look at if you invest at different rates, how that would grow over time. The 25-year return on the Australian share market is about 9% at the moment. If you invest just a thousand, like save and then invest just a thousand dollars a month, so that's twelve thousand dollars a year. Mm. After ten years, you would have invested a total of one hundred twenty thousand dollars, right? So mm. twelve months in the year, twelve thousand dollars a year. Ten years, that's one hundred twenty thousand dollars. But with the dividends that you receive getting reinvested and some growth, that would be worth about one hundred ninety thousand dollars. After twenty years, you would have put in two hundred forty thousand dollars, and I think that the growth would be about three hundred sixty k at that point. Mm-hmm. The third 30-year number, I can't recall that off the top of my head, but you can look in my book or look in the line, I'm sure it'll be out there. But then the 40-year return, I remember, is like $1.6 million. You put in 480k and you've got $1.6 million, which you don't need the next afterpay to get that. That's like mm-hmm. sleep like a baby at night time, knowing that so long right. as capitalism continues to reign and like good companies make money on the share market, that you're going to get those investment returns. So when you think about that, you go, well, $1,000 a month, I get that that can be a lot of money for most people, but 
it's less than four and a half percent of average household disposable income. So it should be achievable, you know, for the majority of people at some point or another. And a lot of people could probably push a lot harder than that. And if you if you double those numbers, all of the numbers double and you go, well, if you can get those results by just doing like that amount, that's that reasonably small amount and you sleep like a baby and you're not facing more risk, then you go, well, why are you pushing so hard? And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the mistakes that people make that, yes, you, you want to, I, I, it probably sounds like I'm being contradictory that in one part I'm going, well, you, people make the mistake of not pushing harder, but then they push too hard, but it's like people push too hard on the, on the types of investments that they choose, but they don't push as hard as they should on the strategy that they follow. Wow. So it's like push hard on the, push harder on the strategy, but be a bit more boring on your investments and you're going to make more solid progress and more consistent progress and get better results than people just trying to be specky and then they they don't get the results that they want they get frustrated disheartened and then they and then they stop you know putting in the work and it and money success is something that needs work like your well-being is something mm-hmm. that needs work it doesn't just happen on its own you know mm-hmm. you cannot have your sauna session one day and that's you're going to be fine but if you do that forever that's going to be a big that's problem a so <laughs> and this is actually a really good analogy because and i think are oh, there so many parts in life where we are affected by the lack or or the knowledge that we have you know so you know if you if you actually read just two or three good books about relationship you know like for example five types of love languages yeah like if my Mm. like i'm a person that is really happy to do things for my wife but she's someone who really likes the words of appreciation for example yeah Uh, it's not quite like that but you know if it would be then you know that would not work so well. So I do, I think I do a good job, you know, whereas she you actually. Do a great job, I'm sure, Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, like, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's all above water. Well, for you're sure. always, you're obviously quite effective with the, um, you know, that you've got the results to, to show. Right, yes, sure. yeah. I always say, you know, if you have more kids, then the love is still strong enough to create kids. That's, <laughs> that's pretty mean for people that don't have engines that we didn't want to or we did, couldn't or whatever. So, you know, actually it has sometimes to do with finances as well, yeah? Like actually, you know, every child, I know the US people really think along the lines of education, you know, how many kids can I have? And, and you know, and that's, I don't know how much university costs over there, but it's mm. like, you know, it's a half a house or a house. So, you know, people really look at their, trajectory and think i have to make this money mm. just to get my kids a good start into life but i don't, don't want to rest on that what i really wanted to go back to is this analogy because you know i just read two or three books about relationship and i'm set up so much better mm. and you know health probably a similar thing maybe because it's really close to home finance is a long-term game always is here yeah? it's not a gambling thing that is over sunday night when i start sunday morning yeah. at the races or something it doesn't work like that and and so it's a huge impact but it's not felt immediately and i think that's mm. really part of the problem absolutely and what's your guess like how many people actually do take it seriously enough to make good decisions or educate themselves and how many people just say like look i'm buying this house this is what i will do then this house will have you know more value i will eventually mm. sell it and that's all there is i have the feeling that's the strategy i hear the most often it's just like property yeah. And that, that's where it stops. Yeah. Look, I'd say that that probably is the most common approach. And 
obviously I'm biased by the fact that we we help people with this every day and I see inside people's money every day and we see the difference that the going through the financial planning process in a robust way makes to the decisions mm-hmm. that people make. But when, like I mentioned before, that when we help people set up a plan, what we do is we map in what income they've got, what spending they're doing, what's left over, what assets they've got, what property, what debt, superannuation, and then start to look forward. And when they're, when they're considering a property purchase that we'll look and say, okay, well, if you spend 800,000 then this is what it looks like if you spend a million then this is what it looks like he buys your own home or investment then this is how it fits and fits not only today or tomorrow or next month or six months from now but two years from now when you when you plan to have that next child or when your partner's returning to the workforce or you know whatever those things are to make sure that the property fits that you are pushing to go back to what we we're just talking about pushing as hard as you can or you sh- you want to or need to on the strategy side but that everything is fitting together and when we see the amount like the, how much actually changes from what people were thinking that they would do before starting this process to what they choose to do at the end it actually blows me away that most people when they buy a property like in like in a huge multiple i would say just do that they make this half a million dollar million two million dollar purchase without actually going through that process and for me i think like you spend five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars even on getting a financial plan to put to support you making the best purchase for a five hundred thousand dollar or a million dollar or more asset like that just that just blows me away that people don't do that and i think again like it's just that they're doing that properly is going to make a six or seven figure difference to your bottom line in the future so it's like but i think the people also don't know to their defense they don't know that it's actually possible because a lot of the people that we work with they haven't worked with a planner before they don't know what to expect and when we show them they're like oh wow like i didn't realize that that's what you could do i thought it was just about buying some shares or choosing some investments or you know something like that so yeah I i think that the general approach is is to to just do what they think is the right thing and i think it's you know buying property is good as i said but the difference between doing an okay strategy or following an okay strategy or a good strategy and following the ideal strategy for you is huge in terms of the financial difference and the peace of mind and financial well-being difference as well so i think that there's a lot of opportunity there uh-huh. for people but look i think when it comes to educating yourself and content it's like with health, well-being, fitness, working, workouts or whatever. You pick up some techniques, you educate yourself to get started and then you learn some things on the way and you adapt, mm. you adapt different methodologies to your style and how you want to do things, you know, with your sauna system, like you'll, uh, I know for me, like you, you adapt, you, you do some things, people talk about, oh, you should do this, do the hot cold thing, you should go this many minutes, that many minutes, but ultimately you go, well, what, what feels good? What gives me the best results? And then you build more of it in and then someone will say, oh, maybe you should try more oh, the red light therapy. And then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I'll give that a go. And then, you, and then maybe it works or, you know, maybe it works in different ways and, you know, you figure out and you add things to your money toolkit over time that you can then pull out when you need to or use when they're going to deliver results and that's what helps you just constantly build the momentum and make things seem like easier and effortless almost but it is something that 
like your well-being, it's important, but it's not urgent. So it's easy to skip the workout or the, you know, not um, follow the nutrition plan for a day or a week, but then that can turn into a month and six months. And then mm. all of a sudden, then you're playing catch up and uh, doing that. So I think that the, the best approach in a lot of those areas is like build the right habits and then just, just try and consistently stick to them. You don't have to do it a hundred percent of the time, but that 80, 20 and keep the consistency going. And then it's just easier because you're not having to sit constantly like it's like yo-yo dieting that you're not having yes. to go hardcore and then, and mm. then you binge and then you're playing catch up. It's like just go somewhere in the middle or maybe somewhere towards the upper end of the middle, you know, and then you're, uh, you ultimately build that muscle. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine comes to mind. I studied with him, and he he started working in a, in a big organization, quite quite a junior position, and he put a little bit of money away. And his thing was, as he went up with his salary, and you know, in bigger organizations, that's quite structured, so he knew mm. what would happen and you know how to get there and all the rest of it. He would probably take his first salary. It's actually a German thing to do as well, and just mm. blow that. That's uh, that's a really common thing. Like you start a new job, the first salary is basically going to, you know, the friends and yeah. yourself going out for one night. And then what he did is he went back to his normal spending that he had with his junior position. Yeah. And I observed him probably five, six years before he he did really well. And I, he had already had this in place before I met him. But there were investment properties. There were, you know, his own place that he... Rented out so that he didn't have to pay rent himself. You know, there were clever, clever things that he did. And, you know, he, he, I think in total, he worked maybe 15 years in his life, maybe a little bit more. Mm. Really well set up right now and just enjoying life for not having to work anymore. He does do projects and, you know, whatever he likes, but mm. it was such an eye opener, but it is the type of a personality who is really frugal and is really proud of it. You know, yeah. Instilling that, like, there's nothing wrong to seeing to saying to your friends, "I go for that beer that is three dollars less than the other one," or whatever it might be. Mm. You know, like, oh yeah, I'm happy to drive this car for another couple of years. Yeah, it's just something that you just have to stand up for and feel good about. Yeah, look, I think it's it's just what what you're comfortable with and and what works for you ultimately. I think you know, if, if the less you can spend, then the more you can save, and then the faster you're going to make progress, and mm. that's fine. But like. There are a lot of people that don't want to spend like that. I know that I'm like that. Like I, I don't want to be the person that, uh, and I have mates like this. They're lovely people, but when we go out for dinner, it turns into a hassle with the thing. And it's like I don't care how they split the check. Like I don't want to be the person no. that has to worry about that. It's like no. just tell me how much money to put there, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to put it there. But I know that I've got my pocket money in my account, mm. and I knew that that dinner was coming, and I, that's all part of the plan. So that right. I'm, I'm buying myself the yes. ability to not have to stress about that. But reality is that I don't spend a lot of money in other areas and I probably actually spend less money now in a lot of you know in my day-to-day -day living than I did before I started doing focusing on the budget when I was earning much less money you know five years ago or, or something like that so I think it's you've got to find what works for you but I think to your mate like the the story is there that like went because of the power of time and money and compounding that the more you can do earlier on the more options you're going to give yourself later on. So mm. if you can manage to buy property or invest more when you're in your 20s and early 30s, then it's just going to mean that you've got these nice assets that are growing and creating that wealth and security for mm. you beyond that. Whereas if you, and, and you know, again, it's what, what you want to do. I know for me, I 
I wasn't that sensible in my early 20s. I sort of wish a little bit that I was, and I spent a lot of money on travel and experiences mm. and doing that stuff, and a lot of people do that as well. just means that you have to push a bit harder a bit later. So, again, it's priorities. You find what what you, what is most important to you, but if there is a way that you can enjoy yourself and still do do a bit, and ideally, you know, trying to get into the property market, at least in Australia, doing that mm. earlier on, because mm. then you've got the asset that's growing for you and working that gives you options for what comes later that you're going to put yourself in a stronger position and give yourself the flexibility like with your friend that you you can then you know much earlier than a normal retirement age that you can start to then say oh actually i want to take a few months off be with family or travel or i'll just take this project and actually no i don't like that project because I don't like the people or i don't agree with the values of the company or it's not the sort of work that excites me and you get that flexibility. So I think, yeah, more you can do early is gives you those options. Mm-hmm. When I listen to you, it sounds like if you actually plan well, you can sleep well, which is good for well-being in general and probably also be more well off, which means that you actually can invest in more happiness, more well-being and all the rest and of it. Sonus. More saunas, that's right. You know, why not? One inside, one outside, for example. Good idea. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, so when thinking about the strategy, at what time do you, well, at what stage of finances does it make sense to do put a finance plan together and, and who should do that? I know that banks offer that. I don't know how good it is. I always think like, well, they're really conservative. I don't like, as a customer, I can feel they are behind the, Wall with so many things, technology mm. and all the rest of it. So mm. my trust in banks is almost zero simply because I can see it in so many other ways that I understand, like technology, customer service, and so I understand that thing. And I can see they are be, that that's not right anymore. It's too old. Yeah. Therefore, I would just make the conclusion mm. they probably don't understand finance either Yeah. anymore. Yeah. 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 Would you say that? Or? Uh, look, I think that a lot of the banks have thankfully moved out of financial planning now. I think partly huh. as a result of the Royal Commission shone the spotlight pretty well on the fact that like these big financial product manufacturing businesses, like what the banks produce are mortgages, investments, bank accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, like that's their product. Mm. And then the banks and and previously the financial planners were a distribution arm for those financial products. That mm. was the money's made on the products. Mm. The bank branches and the people and the distribution, that's the distribution network to get them there. So mm. I'd say that if you're, if you're wanting to do the sort of financial planning that we've been talking about mm. through this conversation, that the products are really only a very small part of that. Most of it is like the strategy, the properties, like how you, optimizing from a tax perspective and mm. those sorts of things. So you probably want to have a financial planner that's going to be focused strategy first. And that means that if the planner has a product that they that they want to sell, like it's it may not be aligned with your strategy. And I suppose to say it a different way, like the alternative is we work with people on a fee-for-service basis. So it's we have certain service packages and they involve different types of planning with different levels of involvement and people mm. with different circumstances. And we know that the cost is X dollars. And then when someone engages us, we just want to make sure that they're really happy so that they keep working with us and tell all of their mates. We don't, it doesn't make any difference to us from a remuneration or financial perspective, whether they buy a property, buy shares, save money in a bank account, crank their superannuation, mm. whatever. And they're I think, not biased that way. yeah, well, it mm. doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get 
great advice necessarily. Obviously, I think that we give great advice in my totally mm. biased opinion, but <laughs> it, it doesn't guarantee it, but at least it removes the thought from your mind as, a, as an advice consumer that if you know that the person that's supporting you doesn't have any motivation other than, yes. like, they're not going to get paid any differently mm. or any more depending on what you do, then you go, well, actually, maybe... They're, they're, you know, they're going to be telling me more things that are in line with just helping me make the, the right decisions. So I think in terms of who should use a financial planner, I think you've got to, if you're making big financial decisions, I think the property one is, mm. is one that everybody should really have uh, someone to support them in that decision to make sure that they're making the right moves. But also if you're in a position where you think you're earning a reasonable income and you don't have as much to show for it as you want, but you can't seem to do it on your own because mm-hmm. it almost sort of doesn't make sense that you say, I'm going to pay a financial planner to help me save and invest more when I should just save and invest more. Mm-hmm. And then I'll save the financial planning fees and I'll, I can, then I can say, I can invest that money or save it mm-hmm. more. But the reality is that a lot of people, they really struggle to do it on their own. And again, going back to that wellness and well-being sort of analogy that you go, okay, well, yeah, okay, we all know that we should eat better and exercise more. But sometimes, and for myself included, mm. I know I was saying to you just before we fired up the, the microphones that like in the COVID uh, initial lockdown, I got super slack with my well-being and put on a bunch of weight, wasn't doing well with my nutrition, drinking too much alcohol. And then I, I, got, a fin- I got a personal trainer. I was going to say I've got a financial planner, but I've got a personal trainer <laughs> to, to whip me into shape. And that was great. I lost 20 kilos. I'm still working with the personal trainer because now I'm like, okay, well, now I want to take it to the next level. But you, I needed to put those things around me. I bought myself a sauna. That was my lockdown present to myself oh, as very well. Nice. I'm like, I'm going to yeah. try to de-stress more so I can sleep better, so I can carve out more time to do this. And, yeah. you know, you put those things in place because doing I couldn't just eat better and exercise more. That wasn't something that I could do. So sometimes if you're trying and you're frustrated, then maybe yeah, having someone to help you is going to help you get results faster and better. Mm. Because I think sometimes with our psychology, money success is hard because we're often saying no to just the behaviors that give that immediate dopamine hit of, you know, just spending a bunch of money, buying something shiny, doing that experience or whatever. But we're doing it to create these things that are going to give us more enjoyment, fulfillment, happiness in the future. But, you know, in the moment, we're all sort of pleasure seekers. So it's it's not always easy. So <laughs> again, like you, you just want to, yeah, like sometimes need the support to to make that happen. But I think anyone making bigger decisions and be aware that there's a lot of different advice companies out there and solutions that do advice in different ways. So you want someone that can speak to your problems that knows that that knows what how to help, like with the with the mistakes that you might make mm. or the challenges that you're facing and that can deliver on those and thankfully there are even a number of tech-based solutions now where leveraging technology making things more accessible easier and affordable Mm. as well for people so i'd encourage you you know educate yourself on what's possible and and what's out there don't just think oh that's something that you need when you're old because there there's a lot of solutions that can help people get to where they want to be faster and easier beautiful Uh, where can i find your book are you on Amazon? On Amazon. Yeah, so get unstuck or there's a there is a website. I think it directs back to Amazon. But mm. yeah. Ben Nash Get Unstuck. And if I want you or your team as a financial planner, co pilot support, how do I find you there? 
Well, you can look at the Pivot Wealth website, which is just www.pivotwealth.com.au. There's a bunch of information on there. We're on most of the socials. I'm trying to take over TikTok at the moment, so oh, if good. anyone wants to really get in on the ground <laughs> level, you're very welcome to, to check out my TikTok at Pivot Ben and, and Instagram as well. <laughs> uh, you see me. I'm not dancing on there yet, but okay. maybe if I get enough demand, I will. So yeah, okay. You can right. check that yeah, out. Yeah. I'll try to spare you there. It would be interesting. Good for your well-being. <laughs> very good for your well-being. Yeah. Hey, um, we normally have three questions. One of it is, what are you reading right now? At the moment, I'm reading Top Grading. So it's all about hiring and yeah, essentially hiring, recruiting and promoting team members. So we have gone through quite a lot of growth in our business in the in the, well, over the last five years, but really particularly since COVID. So learning on, yeah, how to, how to recruit better, recruit for talent and then get the most out of our team and really get them working to their potential. Quite oh, interesting. Very cool. Actually, it comes to mind, um, I just finished uh, Atomic Habits, uh, suggested for by one of our friends. Great book, I think, for anyone who wants to just put minor and compounding habits in, in place, and that's true for wellness, and that's why I did it. But thinking about it, I can see that being a great tool and a great book to read to understand how to put uh, financial financial habits and saving habits into place too, huh? Absolutely, yeah. It's all habits in a lot of these areas, and I, I love James Clear's habit stacking. Um, mm. I think it... It makes things uh, so much easier, I think, with your well-being, with with your money, with the with a bunch of different things. So, so anything like that, I think, is uh, is hacks to make your life easier. Nice. Yeah. What is getting you out of bed every morning? You know, like what makes me excited, or yeah, I guess so. Like what was like worse, not just sleeping in and just letting the day goes by. Well, Goodbye. I could answer that question in a couple of different ways, but yes. one answer is I, I normally get up at four thirty every morning. I get out of bed at that time because I know that that those couple of hours between 4.30 and 7 or 7.30 is the quiet time in my household before my two-and-a-half and, and one-year-old get up. And <laughs> what's getting me out of bed is knowing that if I miss that window, then chaos is going to rain for the rest of the day and I may not get anything at all done. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Not so> bad, <laughs> um, But, yeah, I, I do I do use the mornings to, to set up my day a few days a week. I do my training in the morning, crank in the sauna, get, get on the front foot for the day ahead and um, yeah it is the, the quiet time that I know I can get my stuff in and be selfish with doing the things that I want to do before the day starts and uh, the other commitments get in the way very cool so you're actually excited about doing all these things huh? love it yeah, yeah. fantastic Great. That was question two. Question three is a really left field one I guess or not depending on where you stand why do you think you're here? On the planet or in this sauna? Why you exist? Oh shit that's a hard question Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I exist, but I... Oh, why human exists, maybe then, if, if that's easier, if you, if you think like sort of broader, like why, why are these conscious beings walking around on this planet when everyone, well, I'm not saying that animals aren't conscious, but you know what I mean. Mm, yeah, I don't know that I'm really qualified to answer that question, but I grew up in a in a Catholic family, Catholic household, and sort of had the, I suppose, Catholicism drilled into me. I would consider myself spiritual in a way, but um, not not really, there's a word for it, which I don't know what it is, but like I, I feel like everybody should, everybody shares the same sort of universe, spirit power, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, I think that on this earth where we're here to do good, I, I like to think that I'm here to do good and, and create 
you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I've got two gorgeous daughters and can, can have pass on my legacy that way to them through, you know, our values and experience. And I believe in having a, a positive impact on the world to the, to family, uh, community through our business. I'm super proud of the fact that we're able to help so many people through what we do directly with our clients. We also have a great partnership with Buy One, Give One or B1G1, who I know that you're familiar with, where every time someone does business with us, we do something good on the planet as yeah, well. And we do the same. Yeah, it's like great. A lot of people in our business community that I think that business is a real power for change as well. So why we're here, not sure, but, you know, I think the... What, what I like to do while I am here is to, to live well and mm. to have fun, mm. uh, but to have a positive impact on the world as well. Whether that's, um, you know, ex- extends beyond me, don't know, but yeah, I, I think that's, I, I think as well, like tying back to money that I think money is a vehicle that allows people to live a better life and make more of a positive impact on the world as well mm. through pursuing the things that make them happy for looking after their family and, being able to do those things as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm super uh, excited to be working in that space, helping more people to be able to do that and potentially even passing on some of that message to them as well. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Good answer. Mate, you caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> yeah, I hope, because you're not, not the type of person that often gets off guard, so I hope <laughs> I could do that. This is the question that often gets. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. This was Ben Nash from Pivot Wealth, and you heard the website, da 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 pivotwealth.com.au that's it great terrific check him out he's also on many other channels as he said including TikTok and if you comment enough I'm sure he will do the dance (laughs) (laughs) that's right and we do have a podcast as well how to be successful with money which you can check out on your podcast platform terrific we hope you got a lot out of today's inspiring conversation please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it whether they are a seasoned health expert or just beginning their wellness journey these stories of remarkable transformation success and valuable insights will certainly help empower more people until next time have the best life ever